you guys. Love you guys. Oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, you guys are too kind. You can sit down. You're so kind. Man, you guys look good. You haven't aged a bit. This is where you say the same thing to me. Doug, you look great. We, like the gray hairs, it, it looks good. You work it, right? Thank you. I think so too. So does my wife. She thinks uh, I'm a young Clooney. That wasn't a joke, but thank you for laughing at that. She was serious when she told me. Um, but you guys doing good? Good, man. I've missed you. Um, I've missed you a lot. Jess and Connor and Zach and Keaton, they're, they're out of town uh, this week, which means as far as tonight goes, no parents, no rules at YA. Anything can happen. This sermon could literally go in, in any direction. I have no idea, but I'm kidding. This is church. This is serious. No fun. Just diligent note-taking on your part. I, uh, hey, my name is Doug Weckenman. If I don't know you or if you're relatively new, I used to be on this uh, YA staff up until a few months ago, and it was the best job that I've ever had. And uh, a few months ago, I moved to um, Austin, Texas to start a Red Rocks church in Austin, Texas with a huge group of friends, which has been amazing, but it, it is so awesome to be back. It was hard to leave, but, but now I get to be here, and, and depending on how tonight goes, maybe even again in the future, we'll see. But hey, will you guys give it up for Scott Miller really quick? This guy... Scott and I were actually in a high school band together way back in the day. We played emotional punk rock songs. Are you playing one of them right now? Yeah. Is that more than a moment? Yeah. Can you play Guardian Angels? Do you remember that? You have to change the key. Maybe. I forget. It's beautiful, whatever you're doing. This is like, we, so I was, it was with my brother and a couple other guys, we had a band and none of us were really talented. Um, we just had fun and then all of a sudden we met Scott and he's actually like a musician and he came on board and made all of our songs sound a lot better and, and I feel the spirit of God when he's playing that pad behind me, so thank you buddy. Just a little bit longer, then you can go, you can go sit down, okay? Um, Hey, I have a beautiful wife, Samantha. She's back in Austin along with my 12-week-old brand-new little boy. His name is Will. That's Will right there. He's usually Will the Thrill, but right there he's Chill Will. That's our back, back porch time. It's my favorite time ever. He, uh, his shirt says, Daddy makes me smile, but he's not smiling in that picture. I'm the one smiling. But like Robert Madu would say, fatherhood is the best hood. And I wish I sounded like him all the time when I talked, but I love, I love that little guy, man. And so begins my lifelong journey as a pastor, very traditional, very stereotypical journey of using my kids in every single sermon illustration I'll ever give from here on out. Ironically, except for tonight, which you get off the hook, but oh, I just miss him. I get to see him. I get to see him tomorrow morning, but he, uh, he, I'll tell him you said hi. Don't worry. Uh, I want to preach a message tonight called Drug of Choice, Drug of Choice. And now um, you might hear that and immediately kind of cringe and go, oh, this might be a harsh, a harsh message. Like, I hope I don't leave like feeling beat up tonight. And I really, I really kind of believe that um, I think you're going to like where tonight goes. I really think you're going to like this. And I think you're going to walk out of here um, feeling built up and encouraged and even um, challenged tonight. I really do. And so drug of choice. If you're taking notes, and you should be, I hope, I hope you are for your sake. 
I hope you're taking notes tonight. Drug of choice. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, anybody bring like a real Bible to church tonight? Hold them up. Yeah, I love it. The real Christians in the house tonight. This might be a good night at church. No thanks to the rest of you. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39. We are about to pick this up. Um, it is, it's about midnight, um, the night before Jesus' final day on this planet. And uh, he's had his last dinner with the boys, and um, he's heading to a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus knows what is waiting for him, right? Like he, he's, he knows everything, like he's completely human, but also completely God, and he knows what's coming. And uh, he knows he is conquering the grave and defeating death in no less than three days. He's walking out of his tomb. But Jesus also knows that between now and then is... A lot of pain is his crucifixion. And, and this is where we find Jesus about midnight, the night before that crucifixion. Verse 39, here we go. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and he prayed this. He prayed, he prayed, Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, please take it. I'm sorry. If you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It's like an actual physical condition when you're under that much pressure and pain and anguish to, to sweat drops of blood. And when he rose from prayer, he went back to his disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow, and said, Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And so Jesus was tempted to escape the reality of the moment that he was in, right? The pain that he was in in that moment. In fact, he even asked his dad. He said, Dad, if there's any way, like I know we're trying to save the world, and I know we have a plan, but I know how much pain that, in plan that plan involves. And if there's any other way that we could go about doing this, like if there's a plan B, that could be really, really useful right now. And Jesus, like we see his humanity, his full-on humanity in the garden right here. Like he wanted an out from this. He wanted to escape, right? But then he follows it up with probably the bravest prayer that you could pray as a human being when you really mean it, which is, but not my will, God, but yours be done. Jesus wanted out, but Jesus stayed. He wanted out, but he stayed all the way through the crucifixion, all the way through the pain. And what followed it on the other side was exponential life. You know what I'm saying? So one man's crucifixion led to everybody's resurrection. Pain always leads to life in an exponential kind of way. We're in the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven is not a kingdom of addition, but a kingdom of multiplication. And so I mean it when I say exponential life. The goodness of the resurrection is far bigger and better than the badness of a crucifixion. And so God, would you, would, you, would you speak to us today? Would you block out distractions? I pray away shame in this room. I pray away fear. I pray away, I pray away unworthiness. And we simply just welcome in your love. And I pray that we would experience your presence 
in an extra real and tangible way tonight, God. We love you and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you, Scott. Don't go far. Promise? Okay. All right, finish this uh, sentence for me, young adults. No pain, no No pain, no gain. It's true, but I absolutely hate that phrase because I'm a guy who hates pain, okay? And I just learned on a whole new level that actually women, y'all have a much higher pain tolerance than men do. Kudos to you. You should feel pretty proud because it's true. And I learned this, men, here's how I know this, because they have to give birth, okay? And between now and the last time I saw you, I witnessed birth, okay? I'm seeing a counselor for it, all right? And in my counseling, what I'm, all, all I've learned so far is that I'm just, I'm, I'm so glad, no offense, I'm so glad that I'm a guy and not a female because I'm not trying to do that, like, like ever, okay? Like, I have, I have a very low pain tolerance. Like, like I'll, I'll burn my finger on some steam while I'm cooking up some Annie's organic mac and cheese, right? Psst, like, you ever, like, that freaking kills. Have you ever done that? And I'll be like, in so much, like, I'll, I'll drive to Dairy Queen to cheer myself up and get a large blizzard because not only does it make my burn feel better, it, it makes my tummy feel good, too. Like, that's, that's me with pain. And my wife just gave birth to another human being with a smile on her face the entire time, okay? There's a discrepancy in pain tolerance between guys and girls. She's better than me. You're better than us, ladies. Kudos to you. But it's interesting to me as, like, as human beings, if given the option in any circumstance, we'll do anything to avoid pain, even though pain always leads to life. You're going to hear me say that a lot. We will do anything to escape and find a way out, right? Like ask any mom, ask my wife, ask anybody who's ever done hot yoga. Now you're looking at a guy who just completed his free trial one week at Core Power Yoga of hot yoga, all right? And just in case you're in here and you're like, well, yoga, isn't that demonic, right? Like anything can be demonic if you open yourself up to the demonic, but yoga can just be stretching, okay? And hot yoga is just stretching in a room that is hotter than the sun, okay? But I wanted to try it because I'm like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to cleanse and, and I'm going to get the toxins out and I'm, I'm going to live healthy, right? Like I'm going to live Zoe, abundant life, and I'm going to accomplish that through hot yoga. And I'm like, like this will be easy. It's yoga. I, I like, I like like, I like heat, okay, I hate the cold, but I like heat, I, I like to exercise, I do that a lot, like, I walked in, they handed me a pair of eight-pound dumbbells, and I'm like, Psh, like, I lift tens at the gym that I go to, right, like, this is gonna be, this'll be easy, it's not easy, guys, it sucks, hot yoga is so freaking hard, and like, it's like 45 minutes long, and like 15 minutes in, I will do anything at this, like all I'm thinking about is walking out that door away from the 110 degree rooms, okay, away from the room that is hotter than the surface of the sun, like all I can think about is, is getting away from the heat, getting away from the pressure, away from the pain, away from these eights that feel like 80s, right, like dang you eights, you know, like, but I didn't. I, I, like, I, I can say with full, like, full integrity as a fully grown man 
church, a fully grown pastor who completed hot yoga, I did not only go once, but I went every single day of my free trial. And on the last day, I even went twice. And I wouldn't lie in church tonight, okay? I really... I really did, and, and, and I felt amazing, like all week. I felt physically better and happier and healthier. Why? Because pain leads to life. Ask anybody who's even gone on a run when they did not want to. Pain leads to more vitality, right? And you ask, well, why, why don't you keep going to core power yoga? Well, because it's really expensive, it's really expensive, and if anybody here has authority at all at Core Power Yoga or you're watching online and you work there, I just marketed it like to a lot of young adults and would love a free membership for one year or at least for you to lower the prices because it's a little steep, just a little bit. And uh, So that's why it's expensive, and I know that was selfish what I just did, but you never know who's watching. And so pain is always on the way to life. It's always on the way. Sticking it out in the heat leads to life. If given the option, we will usually, as human beings, opt out. But in Gethsemane, Jesus stayed. And because of that, eternity is yours. Exponential life. One man's crucifixion, the universe's resurrection. And so now, why do I tell you this? Well, Right here, I have a bottle that uh, we, we ripped the wrapper off because you don't, wanna, you don't want Tylenol to sue you at church. Um, but this is, this is DOC, and that, strand, that stands for drug of choice, okay? And, and this is going to represent something for all of us because I'm not just talking to drug addicts in the room, okay? I'm talking to us as human beings because all of us medicate like we medicate pain to some extent. Like all of us in some way, shape, or form are coping with life, right? And some, some of the, the drugs of choices on this bottle, some of them are, are way more taboo than others and some way more, way more like less, less um, intense than others, some way more socially acceptable than others. But, it, but the concept is the same. Human beings, we medicate pain, like the hot yoga room, life can, be, life can be painful, life can heat up. And usually when we're under pressure is when, as human beings, we make our worst decisions. And if given the choice, we will escape. We will opt for a way out in any way, in any way that we can. Because somewhere deep down, as human beings, you guys, we're, we're like, there's, there's pain and there's wounds and there's memories. And there's like, we're not content and cozy in our own reality, the way that we would like to be. And so we distract ourselves by any means necessary. So what is your DOC? What is your drug of choice, right? Like substances. Substances are like the easiest way to understand this. Like, so I, I, I get migraines, and I used to have a prescription, um, a prescription to take like when, when they really, really hurt, okay? I used to have it, and that's great. Like, like, I believe God can give us that. Like, that's common grace. So hear my heart, that's a good thing until you start taking it to escape reality when your head doesn't even hurt. And some people can have prescriptions like that in their medicine cabinets. For me, I can't. It's too much of a temptation. For me, like, no chance. I'm not doing that. I'm not risking it. Alcohol is another one. For me, like, that's not, that's not a vice for me. That's not a drug of choice for me. But people use alcohol all the time, and I'm not just talking about the fun, like, 
like um, casual kind of way as much as I am the, uh, the partying by yourself kind of way behind closed doors because you're in pain and you no longer want to feel it, right? Like, like food. Food's an amazing gift from God that you can so quickly take out of its rightful context the way God designed it to work and use it to cope with something and, and, and to escape from something like smoking weed or chasing a high because life by itself is not enough without the extra highs that you can throw into it because you're not cozy in your own reality. So your own reality you think needs help by some DOC, right? That's substances, activities, so many activities, like shopping can be a drug of choice, right? Shopping can be a great thing, but it's so, it, like, unless you're using it to escape from something, right? Like, we can so quickly, for a few hours, trick ourselves into thinking that that thing is going to solve all of my problems, even though it worked for a couple hours last week, right? Like, the new shoes, like, they're going to finally give me what I'm looking for, right? Like, you're, you're using shopping as a drug of choice, right? Like, exercise and video games sound like the polar opposite thing, but both of those can be used to escape from the exact same reality, right? Like, things like ambition or success, things that are, like, good things, right? But that you can use, like, because your dad never told you he was proud of you or one person said one thing, and now you're escaping reality by chasing success and, and, and putting work before absolutely everything else. Like, and if you're like me, you have like these make-believe bleachers in your imagination, in your life that has about, for me, it has about 10 to 15 people that are figuratively sitting on it that I think are watching everything that I do, hoping that nothing works. And I'm dedicating my life to prove those people wrong. That's me taking ambition and using it out of context, using it as a drug of choice, right? Like, like activities, adrenaline can be a drug of choice, right? Like thoughts, we talked about this this past weekend. Worry can be a drug of choice, obsessional thinking, perfectionism, right? Like control, because I grew up in, in an environment where I couldn't control anything. Now I use control as a way of, of coping with things, right? Like fantasy, and I'm, I, I, like, I'm not talking like imagination or dreaming. I'm talking like Walter Mitty syndrome, like fantasy where you, you live up here way more than you live out here because you don't like out here and up here you can create your ideal situation where you're the rock star or you're the hero right like Walter Mitty syndrome like you escape via that people in relationships like sometimes like they're like some of you need a new relationship every month just to not because it distracts you from the fact that you're unhappy without one right that's using people as a drug of choice, right? And I'm not condemning you for that because God's not condemning you for that. I'm not judging you for it because God's not judging you for it, right? Like it points to something deeper. And I think you're going to see that. I think there's going to be something about this sermon that, that there's going to be something that switches. And I'm going to say something in a little bit that I think is going to surprise a lot of you, okay? But like people or like sex, we use sex as a drug of choice, Sex was God's idea, an amazing gift given to us to enjoy in the proper context, right? But when you, when you like sex was meant to be a supplement of a, of a loving marriage to add more life to it, but when you use it as a savior from the life that you're unhappy with, like every single other DOC that's possible, it's going to fail you every single time. The same thing is true with 
pornography. I don't want to feel, so I'll escape for the next few hours, right? Like some of us are addicted to drama or we need other people's problems or gossip because it, it helps us distract ourselves from, from what's going on in here. And then the final one I wrote down was comparison. And I wanted to get this right, so I, I'm going to read it. Comparison, taking Vicodin every night is really not that much different than scrolling through Instagram for three hours every night. Both are escaping something. Even comparison. Comparison is a medication. Here's why. The alcoholic medicates life by drinking. The comparaholic, whatever you want to call it, medicates by comparing him or herself to an alcoholic and thinking, well, I might have my stuff, but at least I don't do that. And I'm not happy, but I feel a little bit better now because I, I for some reason, believe God kind of grades on a curve. And if I can look around and I'm, I'm not doing as bad as other people, this is why the news can make us feel better sometimes about ourselves because we're like, well, I'm not that messed up. Comparison can be a way of escaping. And we all do this. Like, you're among family in here. Like, that's what you have in common with every single person in this room, myself included, is we all have our DOC. We all have multiple DOCs that we use to medicate pain so that we don't have to feel it, so that we can escape by any means necessary. We all have our drugs of choice to use as escape doors when our realities are anything but cozy, like a hot yoga room when things heat up and there's pressure. And I realize like, that I, I, I hate my reality and there's so much about my life right now that I don't like and all I want to do is run for the door and escape and get out of here. That's what, that's what this is, right? Like, so I don't have to, to face these wounds or these insecurities that are deep down. And, and, and I say all that to get to, to, to right here in this moment. So look at me. Here's, here's the twist, if you will, in the sermon. My question for you tonight is not to ask you, what is your drug of choice, Christian? And then find a way to convict you to stop being a knucklehead this week and go battle it and do something about it. That's not, that's not my desire at all. Because we've like you've tried that, and if it would have worked, it would have worked by now. Battling, battling whatever drug of choice might be, it would have worked right by now. And so my question is not, what is your drug of choice, and knock it off. My question is, on a much more human level, what, what is your drug hiding from you? Like, let's get curious for a little bit, because you're okay because of the blood of Jesus. Regardless of this, you're okay because of the blood of Jesus. Sitting in your chair right now, God looks at you and loves the heck out of you. And there's nothing, there's no amount of this that you could engage in that would change his mind about you right now. And so knowing that, let's get curious. What is your drug of choice hiding from you? I'll phrase it this way. What are you medicating? Because you, you use whatever it is that you use because you're escaping some form of pain. And I'm here to tell you that that pain, and I've been, this is my journey over the past two years. I've been learning this. Pain that you feel is, is your spirit or your soul at the deepest levels of who you are, like shooting a signal flare up to the surface, letting you know that something deep down here is in pain, 
and is in need of a divine surgeon and needs healing, right? And like, like pain is not a punishment in your life. Like if you broke your arm tomorrow, it would, it would hurt like crazy. It would be painful, but that's not your body punishing you. That's your body telling you that there's something wrong that needs your attention. In the same kind of way, when you feel that like in reality or your spirit or your soul, it's your body not, it's your soul not punishing you, but letting you know there's something down here that, that you need to, to look at with God that needs to be healed. And on the surface, you experience that pain. But oftentimes, rather than follow the pain, we just, we escape. Rather than stay in the hot yoga room, we, we run for the door because it doesn't feel good. Pain is there to annoy you, all right? That's why we try to get rid of it so fast. And that's why fighting the drug never works for anybody. It's called like symptom solving. And so I used to do this all the time. Like I, I became a Christian back in college. And basically what I thought was like, I, I kept hearing testimonies from Christians who would say, yeah, I used to party and uh, used to do A, B, and C. And then I met Jesus and now I don't. And, uh, and that was every story. And I was like, eventually I started thinking like, so that's like you met Jesus and then the things you were doing, you just stopped doing and that's all that this is about, right? And, and we hear testimonies like that and we hear people or pastors say, what's your drug of choice? God wants you to knock it off and, and grow up, Christian. And we try to, to fight our drug of choice, whatever that is. So if it's, if it's Vicodin or if it's pornography or if it's gossip or whatever it is, we, we put the gloves up and we say, okay, I'm gonna fight this, I'm gonna stop doing this and you can do really good at stop doing it for a little bit but eventually, like, like if, you, if you're an alcoholic and you, you're like, I'm not gonna drink, I'm not gonna drink, I'm gonna battle, I'm gonna battle, I'm gonna battle. Let's say you make it for a month Okay, you're still a very, like, you're a slave to this because you've been facing this the entire time. You're the most sober slave to alcohol in the world. Like, you're still thinking about it. You're just thinking about not it, right? And so, like, I was reading a book a few, like, a few years ago by two twin brothers named Seth and Dave, and they were on a journey uh, to, to freedom from pornography. They were addicted for about, like, 10 years, even into marriage. And uh, Dave tells a story about how he approached his drug of choice, his symptoms of something deeper. He approached it as a battle to be fought. I'm going to battle this. Ugh, I'm so mad at you, pornography. I'm so mad at you, anger, right? Like, I'm going to battle, I'm going to battle this as best as I can, right? And he, he made it for six months, clean and sober. And he tells a story of being in Hawaii on vacation with his family. And one night he was walking along the beach underneath the stars, six months clean. And he remember looking up at the stars and, and he realized in that moment, I've been clean for six months, but I don't feel free. Because if I let up, if I put the gloves down for just a second, I know I'm back. And is that really the kind of freedom that Jesus was talking about? Or does freedom feel like freedom? So one of my best friends, Will, he's here tonight. He, he spent years of his life addicted to drugs. Um, medicating, it was just his drug of choice like we all have, medicating a pain and a discontentment with his own reality, right? And, and for him, it was drugs, substance. And uh, until one night when he was arrested and found himself in a prison cell. 
and now in a prison cell with no drugs of choice around him anywhere to use to medicate the pain that he was left with. Just him in a prison cell and God. And he tells me stories about the intimacy that he felt with God in those prison cells because there was no way to escape, so all he could do was feel the pain with God from start to finish. And so he processed the pain. He followed it to the source, to a place where the divine surgeon healed something inside of him. And now you could put drugs on a table next to Will, and it's not even tempting for him. And that's real freedom. I have to believe that's the kind of freedom that Jesus was talking about. You don't need medication if there's nothing left to medicate. It's when there's something to medicate and you try to say no to the medication that it's always going to call you and you'll always be tempted. The key is not in battling that, although there's wisdom in battling. I'm not saying that. You should. It's just called being wise. But the, the key to freedom is letting the divine surgeon heal you from the inside out. And that happens, here, like that happens by following the pain. Following the pain because pain always leads to exponentially more life. And, and here's, here's, here's my story. And, Ben, you guys can come back out. Here, like, I'll be vulnerable with you for a second. It's, it's December 23rd, 2016. Christmas Eve Eve, two years ago. My wife and I got in the biggest fight that we've ever had in our, in our lives. And um, we, uh, in, like, in our marriage, we kind of, like, we never fought. And we always prided ourselves on being the married couple who never fought, right? We just bottled things up and pushed things down. And um, that's why you have to learn kind of how to fight fair in marriage and get things out and process things. But we just, we, we shoved it all down until December 23rd and we're in our bedroom and everything, like we're, we're just arguing about one thing and that led to another thing, which led to another thing. And, and soon all the frustrations that we've both ever felt like towards each other about like, uh, like, like God and like, like what we thought marriage would be versus what it actually was, like came to a surface and, and we went at it like, I was so angry. She was so angry. And I remember slamming the bedroom door and going into our living room and, and laying down on the couch, so like so mad, the maddest I've ever been in my life, and feeling like pain and pressure. And, and all I wanted to do was have a few drinks and turn on Netflix for five hours. And Netflix can be amazing until you use it because you hate reality and you'd rather go. I call it my fakeality. I have reality, which is life, and then I have fakeality, which is where I can go when I hate how I feel here. And I can just check out via any one of these avenues right here so I don't have to feel. And I sat on the couch, and that's, that's what I wanted to do that so bad. And I don't think God would have been mad. I think he would have been like, buddy, I've got more for you than that. And you know that by now. But there's no condemnation. I'm going to be here tomorrow morning. But, but I heard him say this. I heard God, not audibly, but just kind of challenge me. He said, what if, like, all you want to do is escape into fakeality? He said, what if you stayed? And what if, and not like, like what if you felt the pain from start to finish, rather than get away from it and medicate it. And so I got in my car, and it's midnight, it's now Christmas Eve. I got in my car, 
and for an hour and a half, and I get in my car and I turn the music on and I feel God say, hey, nothing, don't turn the music off, nothing to distract yourself from the pain that you feel right now. Feel it, just feel it. And for the next 90 minutes, I drive around in my car on Christmas Eve and I am, guys, and I'm just, I'm being vulnerable. I am screaming and pounding my steering wheel and crying and yelling at God about all the things that I'm mad at and all the things, like I thought marriage was gonna be a lot easier than it actually is. I thought uh, being in ministry would be like this and really it's, it's a lot messier like this and I thought I'd be a lot farther along in my own faith journey and really like I still struggle with this this and this and I'm I'm yelling at God and I like God's in the car the whole time but I am screaming and pounding my steering wheel and I came to Christmas Eve services the next day and was there out in that lobby right there like like emptying trashes and because I couldn't talk to anybody because my voice was gone because of my time in the car I, I, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death with God all the way to the end. And I remember driving home and I remember coming back to my condo and I remember getting in bed and I remember having the greatest night's sleep that I've ever had in my entire life was that night. And I kid you not, I'll, I'll always remember the peace that I slept with that night. And woke up the next morning and it was kind of like, like, I was seeing the, the, the earth in my life like through fresh eyes. Like there seemed to be a little bit more heaven in everything. And apologizing to my wife was not even like an obligation. It just, it just flowed out of me. Like I just felt like something that was in me that needed to get out. Like when you, ha like when you get food poisoning and you have to, to throw up. But you're afraid to throw up right and because it, it's painful it is like I remember I have a memory of being six years old and I ate a giant bag of Skittles and that night I, I uh, got sick and I threw up the rainbow and I remember <laughs> it hurt and and from that point on I've been scared of throwing up I'm sorry if this is graphic but it's it's too perfect it's like when you have food poisoning you'll walk around like this for days to avoid a few moments of pain, even though on the other side of that pain, you feel great because there's something in here that your body's like, hey, this needs to get out of here. And your spirit's telling you the same thing. This is in here, it needs to get out. Something needs to get healed. What is your drug of choice hiding from you? Get curious as to why you need to medicate life so often. What is it in here that is keeping you from experiencing being cozy in reality and the fullness of life with God because I promise you, God wants to do surgery when you follow the pain with him and, and, and you follow it to the end. You experience pain and you feel it from start to finish because when you process it, you can process it gone. And it's like heaven is inside of you, right? If you know Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is not then and there. It's here and now. It's in this room and it's in, it's in you. Because the Spirit of God is alive and at work within you. But I feel like there's just, there's so many like other like just blockages from life and wounds from life that keeps it from invading like this whole space that is me and my soul. And something that night left because I felt it from start to finish and then heaven invaded the space. And I'm addicted to it now. And so began my journey of God when I'm in that moment and when you're, when you're triggered and all you want to do is escape and not feel reality, what if like Jesus in Gethsemane, what if you stayed? What if you, he's not going to be mad if you do, but what if you said, you know what, I'll feel. 
Jesus drank a cup of, of God's wrath in the garden that night. That's the cup. He, he was not afraid of physical pain. He was afraid of humanity's sin, past, present, and future, being placed onto his shoulders and the wrath of God poured out on him as his father uh, fors forsook him. He was forsaken that night by God in his garden so that you would never have to be in yours by God. And so I'm alone in my car that night, but God's there. You might feel alone in reality, wanting to get into your fakeality, whatever that looks like, but God is there as you follow your pain. This signal flare, your spirit is shooting up as you follow it to the source and the thing that needs to be healed. He's your tour guide on that journey, and he wants to heal you. He wants more of heaven to invade you from the inside out, but there's stuff that's got to go, and that stuff, like throwing up, only goes via pain and feeling it and not escaping it but saying, all right, Jesus, all right. Symptom solving is not Christianity. I think that's why a lot of Christians are just mean a lot because they just try to clean their act up and they, they get good at it. We get good at not doing this, but then we still feel not free and think, is this really it? Like Christians who symptom solve and you just, you press this down without getting to the root of it. Judah Smith says it's like when you're in a pool and you have a beach ball and you're just trying to like keep the beach ball like below the surface, but it keeps popping up and then people look at you like, are you okay, dude? And you're like, I'm just a Christian. Don't worry about it. This is just Christianity. By the way, you should come to church with me. And you're like, uh, because what, what part of that looks like freedom, right? Like. I, I've switched my mentality. Here's what I'm trying to say. From battle to journey. And it's a journey full of a lot of success and a lot of failure and a lot more nights like my night in the car of processing and feeling and not being afraid of it and um, experiencing more and more and more life, exponentially more on the other side of it, right? Right? One man's crucifixion led to the universe's resurrection. One night in my car led to so much abundant life for me to experience that now I'm like, God, I'll keep going. There's more and more in here, and I think Jesus is saying, yeah, we'll go, we'll go as deep as you want, and we'll keep processing, and we'll keep getting it out. Just don't be afraid to feel. Just stop checking out. And when you feel triggered in that moment, what if you stayed and what if you got, what if, what if three words I'll leave you with and then I'll pray and then we'll worship. Curiosity, courage, and kindness. Start getting curious as to why you have to escape as often as you do. Stop getting, start getting curious about why you have to medicate using whatever it is for you, your drug of choice. Like, like, like George, get curious. Start getting curious with no shame. Just, man, I wonder what, like, I wonder what it is. I wonder if this pain is not just life punishing me, but it's rather the deepest part of who I am saying, hey, help us. Help us. I'm letting you know something needs to be healed. Stop buying more Band-Aids when God wants to do surgery, right? Get curious. And number two, courage courage to get in your car and go for the drive when you'd rather escape courage to walk through the valley of the shadow of death 
whatever that looks like figuratively for you. Courage to, to feel to feel pain. It's part of being alive. And in 2018, we have a million ways to medicate it. But when we medicate the pain, we also miss out on the highs and the joy and the life. It's when you feel this that your soul and your spirit opens to, to God everywhere. I see, like that morning after, I saw God everywhere, like in places I never saw him before because heaven occupied a little bit more space in my spirit, right? So courage to stay. And then number three, kindness. Just be kind to yourself with what you find because sometimes we look inward like I'm driving in my car and I'm screaming things and I'm like, where, where did that come from? Like, that was in me? Like, I'm a pastor. That was in me and... I'm saying some stuff that I'm like, I'm not proud of. And God's just saying, yeah, it's in there. I know it's in there. You're just getting it out. And there's no condemnation for you. And it's like he, he's saying, I, I'm not mad at you. So you don't get to condemn yourself. And you don't get to judge yourself for, for these wounds that you've been carrying around your entire life. Get curious as to why you need to escape. Have the courage to stay when all you want to do is get out. And be kind to yourself on this journey because there's no shame. There's not like I, I believe with all my heart when you're on a, a journey like this and you really want to know God because he's an infinite well of every, of every good thing that there is to know and there will always be more of him to have and experience in your life. And as long as you're pursuing that, sin is not your main problem. Shame is your main problem. I believe that with all my heart because, because you think that sin keeps God from you, but it doesn't. Maybe 2,000 plus years ago it did, but we live in a new day and age where dead messiahs stand up and walk out of their tombs and sin is no longer a problem for Jesus and your sin does not keep Jesus from you but your shame keeps you from him your shame keeps you from him so be kind to you he loves you so much and there is so much life and I'm here to tell you freedom actually feels like freedom it's not this manufactured, as long as I'm doing good with A, B, and C, I can tell people I'm free. Freedom is like my buddy Will. I just don't need it because I'm okay and I'm cozy in my reality. That's been my phrase. I'm here to tell you it's possible to be cozy in your, like how good does that sound? Cozy in your own reality with no need to escape to whatever fakeality looks like for you. But I'm just here and I'm okay because I've got Jesus and I don't need this like I used to need this. And one day, one day you'll go to the mall and you'll go there to shop for some new shoes, but it won't be to escape because you're good. It'll just be like, no, it's just fun. I'm fine. I'm not using it as a drug. I just enjoy it, right? Those new shoes, they're just shoes. They're great. And now I'm freed up to enjoy them for what they really are because I'm good in my own reality. One day, like I pray I can get on Instagram and scroll through Instagram for an hour and see my friends in Kauai surfing and I'm not jealous of them. Instead, I'm like happy for them. Why? Because I'm good and I'm not using it as a comparison drug to escape, right? Like I want to get to that place and I have to believe it's possible that freedom feels like freedom and it's there. But it's right past the pain that needs to be felt. Don't fear it. Jesus is going with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort me through the valley. 
Resurrection follows every crucifixion. And the, the, the goodness of the resurrection is exponentially more than the badness of the crucifixion. Because the kingdom of heaven is not one of addition, but of multiplication. And you can be cozy in reality. So God, I, I thank you for my friends in this room. I love this ministry. And God, there, there is so much wisdom to, to battling things and to, to turning and running the opposite direction. Absolutely, God. But there's deeper work that you want to do. And it's only that deeper work that's really going to free us. And I don't know what that journey looks like for the people in this room. I don't look like, I don't know what a, what a 90 minute car ride in the middle of the night looks like for people in this room, but I pray that you'd reveal it to us. And I pray that when those moments come and we're triggered and there's pain and there's pressure and there's the heat of life and all we want to do is escape, God, I pray that you'd give us three things, curiosity as to what is possible if this is healed for me. And courage to stay when I want to leave. And kindness as to what we find when we look on this journey with you. God, we love you so much. We love you. I thank you for this night. We give these songs to you and we sing them like we know that you're worthy of them, Jesus. So invade the hearts in this place. Let us feel you tangibly tonight, God. Even through every guitar chord that is strummed, through every note that is sung and every word that we proclaim to the heavens, would you feel more and more real with everything that we give you? God, I pray that you'd, your presence would fall on this place in a way that nobody who showed up tonight could deny that you're real and that you're here, God. You're that good, and we worship you for it, and we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen. Young adults, let's stand up, and let's worship.